You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am once again your host for these proceedings. It's good to talk with you all, and I hope everyone remains safe and healthy as we roll into the middle of September. And for my friends out west, I sure hope you all are safe from the fires and the smoke. And speaking of fires and smoke, I want to send out best wishes and congratulations to my friend Marissa Ishimatsu and her new husband, Daklin Young. Now, Marissa and Daklin jumped the broom a little more than a week ago in the middle of all the wildfires sweeping the Bay Area. It was a Zoom wedding, and unfortunately, I was on the road and unable to attend. So I want to take this occasion to wish Marissa and Daklin all the best as they move forward together. And welcome to episode 18. So this particular show is being pushed out a day late because I have been a very busy bee here lately trying to finish up my kitchen remodel project that is now over a year old. It was a complete tear-out and rebuild job, and I had pretty much everything done last October, except for the tile backsplash, which I put off for warmer weather. And then I put it off again because I've never done wild tile before, and it was a bit tricky in spots, but it's finished at last, and I think I've earned a break before the next big remodel project. I'm also behind on things because I traveled down to Mobile, Alabama last week to visit my dad. And I got a little turtling in on the way back by making just a few pit stops. And the highlights for me included some really good looks at Graptemi's Nigranota, the black knob sawback. And of course, I got some photos as well. And I also stopped to sneak up on two map turtle species inhabiting the same river, Graptemi's Gibbonsy, the Pascagoula sawback, and Graptemi's Flavimaculata, the yellow blotch sawback. And it was really interesting to see both species using the same basking logs. And I got to try out my new 100-300 zoom, which works really well with these skittish map turtles, which are really tough to get close to, even if you're sneaky. So now you know why this episode is a bit late, and I enjoyed all the funny comments folks made on the So Much Pingle Facebook page when I posted about it. And that's the perfect segue to let you all know that the show will be on a short hiatus. I will be traveling for the next two weeks, starting the day after tomorrow, and I won't be back until close to the end of September. Now, of course, it would be great to have some shows finished and ready to automagically drop on Sundays while I'm gone. And I've actually done that for a few episodes already, but I don't have a show ready thanks to lots of other stuff's going on in my life, and I am out of time before I leave. I'm just out of time. And just for a little insight, the bottleneck for all of this is in the processing. It takes quite a bit of work to edit the recorded interviews, uh, record the intros and outros, and assemble and mix down all of the recorded segments, and then write the show notes, and then upload the whole shoot and match to the internet. So... Picture in your mind's eye one of those one-man band guys, and that's me podcasting. So, 
you know, Joe Rogan, that guy's got people for all this, you know. And so I'll pick it up again when I get back. I've got plenty of shows already recorded that need to be processed, including a two-hour interview that I recorded last week, which, just to further the point, will probably take a minimum of about four hours for me to edit. So when I get back, I'll take some vitamins and I'll put on a big pot of coffee and I will get right back to providing some herp infotainment. Speaking of which, my guest this week is Michael Cravens from Tempe, Arizona. Now, Mike and I have been friends for many years now, and we've herped together in some very cool places, and we have had many a long conversation around campfires and beers and cigars. And Mike even came down to Peru a few years ago, and I was happy to be a herp enabler for him down there. And I'm pleased that he agreed to come onto the show. I think he's a very interesting person. He's quite adventurous, and he's a very thoughtful person to boot. And, of course, we cover some cool herp stories and adventures, but one of the fun things for me doing the show is hearing about the other things that my guests are into, you know, their hidden talents and interesting hobbies and passions. And and one of the things that Mike and I didn't get to cover uh, was hiking and backpacking adventures, among other things. And Mike did a solo hike of the U.S. portion of the Continental Divide Trail. And go look that up if you're not familiar. And I say solo, of course, but his dog Quinn came with him. And I'm still in awe of this feat. So let's hear what Mike Cravens is up to out in Arizona land. Hello, everyone. Today I am speaking with Michael Cravens. Welcome to the show, Mike. Uh, Thank you, Mike. Uh, now, it's great to hear your voice. It's great to see you. We, we have a little video chat going on here as well. And um, Mike and I go way back, and I'm trying to remember, I was trying to remember this afternoon, just how far back we go. It must be to the 90s, maybe? Early aughts? Yeah. It, I didn't want I'm to not, say last century. I'm, I'm not a numbers person. <laughs> I did turn 45 today, and I remember oh. hanging out with you, and you were all... You were all complaining about being old 20 years ago. And I was like, not old yet. But uh, but now I'm surpassed that, and I feel it. So so I get it. Yeah, um, happy birthday. Thanks. thanks. Um, I don't remember being 45, by the way. <laughs> that's not so bad. I honestly, I feel great. And if I didn't know how old I was, I wouldn't know, you know. Um, I feel yeah. good, though. But good. time is getting by quickly these days. I'll, I'll put it that way, though. Well, yeah, you got kids, so that kids oh, have no way of doing shoot. that. So you and I, um, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your website was one of the first Herp websites that was out there. Yeah. And when I, you know, I always look for and everybody that goes back away, their story is the same. Yeah, I always look for snakes, you know, is what I just did as a kid. Um, then the Internet came around and and I learned that it was a thing other people did. Um, and then there quickly became, you know, field herping. You know, there was a label applied to it. But your site was one of the first. And I don't remember. I remember pestering like my first real herping trip. I was going to go. To the southeast after reading Caulfield stuff and, you know, find the Oak Tea Club and do all that. Um, and I found your site and I reached out to you and pestered you for information and, and you gave it to me. But I then probably there, still have those emails somewhere. <laughs> probably. I probably do, too. <laughs> OK, so uh, we're talking we're talking mid to late time ago, 90s. Yeah. yeah. 
But shortly thereafter, we started connecting at, at Lurie Road, like a lot of us Midwestern and even people from all over the, the states. Uh, I think that's that maybe the first place. time we, we, we met in person was at, at Snake Road. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Anyway, right. I, mean, I could be wrong. but Yeah. Now, the folks that listen to this podcast uh, on a regular basis would have heard this phraseology on damn near every show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's just that's just. It is, well, you know, yeah. yeah, coming to my house. So it's the same thing. It's like, well, that's where I always meet people. So, yeah. Well, okay. That makes sense to me now. Uh, I was trying to remember. I, and it, it, it's so long ago. We're talking, oh my gosh, Mike, we're, we're talking a quarter century ago, buddy. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh that, that was, it was, is such a special place. Um, and, that crew that we had, you know, it was probably about a 10-year run, at least for me, where we had this Midwestern crew that would meet up down there a couple times a year. And, and man, everybody was just great. Uh, and you would hear about all this drama, you know, out West and all this and that. We had none of that, you know. We just all went out and had a good time, good people. They're, they're, you know, it, it, was, it was a wonderful thing. I, it was a special time in my life, no question about it. That's good to hear. We did not have a lot of the Herper drama. We no, did not. No, we had great people, yeah. And yeah. I mean, there's great people out west and out east, sure. of course. But yeah, I think we really had something special there for a while. Yeah, and uh, I believe that at the time you were going to uh, southeast Missouri State, I guess, for yeah. school. I was fortunate and, uh, to live about 40 minutes away from Luru Road. Yeah. So it was easy and, to get over there. Yeah. And so uh, I, th- I think you you went to you were in the biological sciences, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Yep. Can I, can I remember also, uh, I'm jumping it forward a little bit, but, you know, you did a lot of local herping around that area, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think uh, it, it's kind of funny because uh, one of the things that you came across were the uh, the dusty hog noses in mm-hmm. southeastern Missouri. And uh, now that's a snake uh, coming up as a kid. You know, I'd read about that, uh, that snake in uh, Paul Anderson's Missouri field guide. And there's these, you know, patchy little records of those snakes from the boot heel area or just North of the boot heel. And it it was always one of those things like, Oh, it would be great to go on a quest and find one of those down there. And, you know, when I, once I got a car, I actually did go down there and try to find one, but I, I never did, but uh, you did. And uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you could tell the story a little better, but I think you, you were just kind of driving around. Were you looking for the, for the uh, dusty hognose when you, when you found one? Um, Yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, But it started, started with looking for the habitat uh, in the off season. Um, I I guess back then, you know, it's funny because I read all those old accounts um, and I, and I thought of that as being way back when, and now here I am talking about back then and it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but I guess it was. So one of the first books I had available to me and, and, you know, this was, uh, field herping was becoming a thing, you know, uh, that was, that was known about, you know, I guess at that point we had field herp forum. Um, but you know, I, the communication still wasn't where it is today, I guess. Uh, and in certain parts of the country, you know, people don't herp, you know, so it's kind of unexplored territory. But where those historic records of Dusty Hognose were was kind of that unexplored territory. Nobody messed around in there. And uh, I think it was uh, Anderson's old, forgive me, I, I don't have that library still back home in Missouri and haven't seen it for 10 years, but Anderson's old uh, Reptiles and Amphibians of Missouri. Um, 
and he had uh, you know dot maps for for his for each species profile. And right. so what I would do is just get a map out and painstakingly try to like get rulers and figure out where exactly those dots were on those maps. <laughs> um, and uh, in one uh, you know late summer is not a great time to find herbs in the Midwest. You know most things are underground. It's dry. It's hot. Um, but uh, I, uh, I took the opportunity to go set out some traps for Amphiuma, uh, which was, I was unsuccessful to this day on. I still haven't seen one. But um, during and I stayed down there for a few days. And during the hot part of the day, I would go for drives looking for this sand prairie habitat. It's like this uh, relectual habitat that's, you know, all been eaten up by agriculture. But apparently there's a few plots down there. And I would go driving and... I guess uh, to back up just a little bit, this was not like originally me. There, there were some botanists down there working in, in one of these sand prairies, and they found a dusty hognose. Um, and if I oh. remember correctly, it was the first one that had been found in a 40-year in period. Um, they, they were considered extirpated, if I'm saying that correctly. I think I say that wrong sometimes, uh, in the state. But so I heard about that. I got excited about it. Um, and and the, the info I had was, a sand prairie surrounded by black and chicopin, I think, oak near a trailer park in, uh, in this county. I guess I, I shouldn't get carried away with the, the locality, but, but in this particular county. So this is a rural county. And I'm like, well, there's only two towns in it. And if it's a trailer park, it's got to be near a town. So I went down there and I started making circles around this town, getting farther and farther out, um, looking for trailer parks. And asking people where there's a trailer park. So I'd go visit those. And sure enough, I came up over a hill and here's this awesome sand prairie. So I, obviously I got out, walked around it again, horrible time of year. Um, later that year in the fall, uh, did a trip at LaRue, uh, Snake Road. And before going home, I went back, stopped in this prairie um, and went for a hike. And, and sure enough, you know, I, I had just caught a big racer um and it had struck me how blue this racer was compared to all of the other yellow belly racers in missouri um so i caught that racer and i had it in my hands and i was getting ready to carry it over to, to photograph it and i step over this perfect little hog nose kinked up in the sand um and oh boy. You, you know how it is when you're so excited about finding a target everything after that just kind of blanks out next thing you know you're holding your hand but um, but sure enough, yeah, I found one. I was so excited. Um, and the kicker was, uh, so I, I contacted our, our the state and our state herpetologist, uh, Jeff Brigler, and and gave him photographs of the animal. Obviously, I released it, photographed it. Uh, I provided photographs and you know a dot on a map where I found it. And he sent it back to me. He's like, "Are you sure this is where I found it, uh, or where you found it?" And I said, "Yeah, it is." And as it turns out, that was a, a new location. So it was not the same spot that the other one was found. I assumed that it was, um, but it was a new location. And then uh, a little bit later on, uh, the state actually bought that plot of land and, and turned it into a conservation area. So I, I count that as a big win. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a foreshadowing event too, right? It's one thing to find a cool rare snake, but it's another thing to, uh, in doing so, to leverage a conservation effort right right and, and that that's got to make you feel pretty good and it's funny you know uh he asked me they asked me to to keep the location kind of under wraps and i did other than my very closest compadres but when they went and named it sand prairie conservation area it was kind of like well you know everybody's going to know where it is now which is yep. And then I, came Google Earth uh-huh yeah yeah well you know there's for me there's a lot of gray area there 
Because on one hand, I, I get, especially in a tiny little habitat like that, that it could get pillaged, you know, and it could really be hurt by overzealous folks. But I also think that the more people that are out there enjoying these animals and, and experiencing them in the wild, there's, the more people are going to be there to fight for them and protect that habitat when, when needed. So there's a lot of gray area there, and I'm not always sure which direction to go, but I'm glad people are out there doing this stuff and enjoying these animals, that's for sure. Good. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with you too. Um, and it's it's not really a an animal that is coveted, you know, in the poaching world. Yeah, um, yeah. it's kind of a fugly little hognose. <laughs> oh, I think find much better look. Well, you can find much better looking ones in terms of you know. Sure. Yeah, I, I've uh, still never seen captive animals, and, and they're, they're exquisite. Yeah, sure. I, so they're not way up there, um, but they are sort of a, a snake of pilgrimage because people can go and and look for them and maybe see one and uh, then they take a, a photo of it and then that's it yeah there, um, there's certainly an oddity throughout all of their range i mean there, there's still not a lot of them popping up in texas even you know are they even considered still a valid subspecies Our as species far as i it's the last time i looked yes uh, now they're uh, heterodon gloidae, gloidae and uh they're still their own little thing and and that's fine um Yay for them. And, you know, it's, things get fuzzy when, for some reason, should they be subsumed into heterodon nasicus or something like that? Then things get tricky when you're trying to, when you work for your state and you're a conservation person and you're, you know, you've got uh, state statutes and regulations that list an animal as one thing and they're not that one thing anymore. So yep. Yep. A, a, it makes sort of this big management issue. So, so I'm happy that I just stay where they're at and that'll be fine. And I did go over and see them sometime later. I forget what year it was, but it's four or five years ago. I saw several, didn't you? Yeah. I saw a couple over there one day. Uh, and uh, one of the guys I was with uh, also flipped a scarlet snake there. Yeah. And that was another species that had not been seen in the state in, in a lot of years. Um, that was yeah. basically considered gone. So. Uh, yeah, I think there was one found. There was, have been several found there in that sand prairie. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm going to stop now because I'm, I'm. I thought maybe there was another one came up over in the southwest part of the state, but I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, I don't recall, but I know I know a few have popped up over there, and and that's pretty cool too. And I think that was also uh, something that Paul Anderson speculated about back in the day when he wrote his field guide was the, the occurrence of that animal over there. And part of that too is fueled by the old and perhaps erroneous record of a scarlet snake from near Snake Road. Uh, yeah, over I Wolf remember Lake. that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that that's always got people yep. uh, speculating. It's a good campfire uh, story. It's nice to have those little maybes, you know, when you're out there. Right. Yeah, they're little Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's possible because there's a lot of sandy habitat right there along the sure. river in the levees. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, there's there's no telling that uh, it's out, not out of the range of possibilities. Yeah. So it's always yeah. a good story for us to talk about. You know? Yeah, I would agree. You know, these animals, uh, they're small, they're secretive. Um, that habitat is vastly different than it was a long time ago. You know, it's just corn and soybeans now. But yeah, there were sand prairies up and down. You know, there were prairie chickens flying across the river, you know, and Lewis and Clark paddled through there. Um, so it's vastly different, you know, and prairie chickens... I can tell you there's none there, but scarlet no. snakes, why not? You know, there could be little remnant habitats here and there, and they could be holding on. So, Yep. 
So now you live out in Arizona. I do. Yeah. And um, you uh, you live out there with your wife, Mary, mm-hmm. and your two kids, yep. uh, Fielding and Nora. Right. Great kids. A lot of fun. A lot of fun to be with your, your family. Yeah. Seven and, and uh, three. Seven and four. Shoot. Seven and four. <laughs> And Nora's wow. she's turning five uh, this weekend. Oh my gosh, yeah. time flies. That's nuts. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you have you have your first child, and it's like putting one foot in the grave because your life <laughs> after that is nothing but a series of birthdays and Christmases and, yeah. and just events. Yeah, you got to enjoy it while you can because it it just slips away. It's it incredible. It's like, where did that twenty years go? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I tell you know, in any friends that are that are getting ready to have their first child. I, the, the thing I tell them is, man, pay attention because it's going to go by so quickly and, and you're going to look back and you're like, man, how did that happen? I, I don't remember any of it. And then you feel bad about it. Um, yeah. And I did that with my daughter, you know, after I'd already gone through it with my little boy and, and still it slipped by so fast. And, you know, even physically or mentally trying to, to acknowledge that. And it just, yeah, growing up life is quick, man. Yeah. And so you're out there in, uh, I want to say you're in Tempe. Is that right? You got it. I'm in Tempe. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been out there for a number of years now. And uh, you guys are doing pretty well out there, I think. And uh, you you like herping out there? Of course. Of course. I mean, that's why I came here in the first place, to be completely honest. Yeah. What's high on your list in terms of herping? What do you like to do? I've... uh, I like chasing lifers. Uh, I enjoy seeing any, anything, any, anytime I'm out, you know, I got little Bramney blind snakes in my yard and they're an exotic species that don't belong here. And I see them all the time, but every time I see them, I still like seeing them. With that said though, what I really get excited about is chasing new stuff, stuff I haven't seen, explore new habitats, you know, just everything that comes with it. Um, And that excitement of having a target and finding it. So for the most part, you know, most snakes and lizards and, and turtle. I've pretty much covered all the herps in Arizona, uh, as far as listing goes, um, it, it, minus a few, like the New Mexico thread snake. Um, but my big white whale right now, and, and probably the only trip I'm going to take this fall, is uh, uh, the New Mexico ridge nose rattlesnake. That one I just can't seem to can't Ooh. seem to get. It. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one that struggles there, but but it's been a tough one for me. Yeah, had to go to Mexico to get one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really tough in the United States. So they're there, though, and then I'll get them. Yeah. It's just got to keep hiking, keep looking. Got to put the time in. Mm-hmm. But you spend a lot of time outdoors and your family comes with you. It's, yeah. it's This is not a solo pursuit for you. you know, the wife and kids come along and they have a good time and they're they're out enjoying themselves as much <laughs> as you are. Correct. Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that, because uh, as soon as I get off here, I've got to write an article um, and. I get a lot of leeway and freedom on what I want to write about. Um, and so I can submit anything I want. But I think what I'm going to write about this time is getting kids in the outdoor, which is not an unusual topic to write about. But what is unusual, and I'll probably catch some some slack for it, is a, a lot's been wrote, written on this. And most people are like, if you're going to take your kid fishing for the first time, you know, keep it to a half an hour. Make sure you're at a place where they can catch a lot of fish and it's exciting and full of action. And and I haven't, you know, taken that approach with my kids. I, I'm more the old school dad that like drags them along and, and makes them suffer with me and, and 
you know, it's, it's the opposite advice that you usually get from people when they talk about getting kids outdoors. But uh, because I've done it this way, because I started early and often, um, I got these great durable little kids that they'll go out and do anything and hike miles and, and they sleep on the ground and get bit up by mosquitoes and they're just tough. Um, and they, they don't, they don't complain about that stuff. They enjoy it. So I'm very proud of that. It's just what they do. It's yeah, what you all yeah. do. Yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah, we, that's we probably a, a good approach. If you if your outdoor experience is nothing but upside, mm-hmm. you'll never be ready for the downside when that's, it starts raining on your head. Chris, this or, might all backfire on me though, to be fair. <laughs> they're still young, so yeah. Uh, I well, might not. Well, about it later. I don't know about you, but I had kids so that I could run experiments on them just like this. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'm blessed. I've got a yeah. fantastic family. Um, you know, I, I'm obsessively outdoors oriented. Uh, my wife, she absolutely loves to be outdoors. She loves to get a city, but but she's also much more normal than me. So she kind of balances me out. But And your job, uh, let's talk about your what you do now. Uh, you are... And uh, hopefully I have this title right. You are the Advocacy and Communications Director for the Arizona Wildlife Federation. Correct. Uh, So tell us us more about that. What is the Arizona Wildlife Federation? Right. Um, The Arizona Wildlife Federation is a nonprofit uh, kind of environmental group, conservation group, uh, however you want to look at it. It's the same thing to us. So this group I'm particularly proud of uh, and excited about because they are are firmly a bipartisan group, which means we work on both sides of the aisle. You know, we can get into offices on both sides of the aisles. We can influence uh, congressmen and and congresswomen and decision makers on both sides of the aisle. Um, And and that's kind of where I am as as an individual as well. but we work uh, anything that relates to Arizona wildlife, uh, you know, in a nutshell. Uh, but that's, you know, can be a pretty broad term as well. So a lot of things that we're working on right now, like, for instance, today, uh, the Great American Outdoors Act just passed the House. Uh, it passed the Senate previously. So today is a huge, huge day. Uh, this is historic conservation legislation. Uh, basically, Tell us more about it. Sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, okay, we used to have the Land and Water Conservation Fund. The Land and Water Conservation Fund took funds from offshore oil and gas drilling. So basically, it's it's free of taxpayer money, and it puts it into either obtaining habitat and land or providing access to habitat and land. Um, and, and that can go deeper. And, and forgive me if I'm, I'm not hitting, hitting everything exact here. But so what we have to, we used to have to do is fight every so so many years to reinstate that land and water conservation fund. Um, so the land and water conservation fund has funded programs in almost every single county in the United States. So, and and this can also include ball fields, uh, local parks, things like that. So in your town, I'm sure you have a a program that contributes to people getting outdoors that was funded by the Land and Water Conservation Fund. So we used to have to fight to get that back like every five years or so. And then, you know, again, I'm not sure of the exact number there, but uh, it was a struggle. So a few years ago, there was a big to do that we finally got the Land and Water Conservation Fund permanently reauthorized. And that was great. That was a huge win for conservation. But we didn't get the funding permanently reauthorized. So so it's supposed to get $900 million a year. 
But if there's deficits, decision makers can say, okay, well, we're not going to put that all into the LWCF. We're going to use it for this other project that's completely unrelated. So that was a big problem. You know, we hardly ever saw all the funding. So this year, um, thanks to a, a couple particular senators that worked very hard on this, um, they basically took that line water, water conservation fund, wrapped it up in the Great American Outdoors Act, which also includes an element that provides $9.5 billion over the course of five years to pay for kind of an infrastructure backlog in our national parks. So our, our national parks have kind of been suffering from not being able to pay and keep up the places. Yes. So, so that's that's an element now. And they wrapped it all up in this package and called it the Great American Outdoors Act. So uh, that's something that we've been working very hard on. Um, and that, again, got passed in the Senate a little while back. Today, it passed the House. Um, the next and final step is the president's desk. And he has said he's going to sign it. So we should be good to go. So this is literally Theodore Roosevelt level historic legislation. Uh, and this is going to do a lot of great things for a lot of outdoors people you know, across the country. So not only is it putting in or uh, providing an infusion of funding, but it's also stabilizing existing Correct. funding um, you got it. for, like you say, for your nature center and your ballpark and your, your accesses to rivers. And, yeah. yeah. The, the list is, is limitless, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, all people that enjoy the outdoors, whether it be herpers or hunters and fishermen or paddlers or hikers, um, you know, we all benefit from legislation like this. Wow. And so my, Little podcast just scooped it because I this is the first I've heard of it today that it's awesome. that this thing was yeah. um, going to be going to make it through so that's great so yeah, it's a big deal a uh, really big deal okay well that's awesome and so you, you've been involved through through your position you've been intimately acquainted with this and because mm -hmm. it affects you know affects Arizona of course like it does the other forty nine states so you you've known about this for some time um, are you enjoying this work. Is well, this you know, you, I mean, you were meant to do. Um, you know, right now it's particularly tough with our situation with COVID. You know, my kids are home all day. My wife is gone at work, and and you know, this is work that I care about. It's it's I, I want to do well at it, um, and it's hard, you know, because the kids always need something, and and oh yeah, you're sitting in front of a computer all day, which you know, for someone like me, is not an easy thing to do. But uh, but I do care about it very much. Um, so therefore, yeah, I value it, and I, I like it a lot. You know, and it's I'll, I'll, again, I'll put it this way, Th this particular organization, it's funny because I'll, I'll put it this way. I understand there's a lot of nuance here, so so don't take me very literal. But if you divide up the outdoor community and to say like the greens and the browns, the greens being environmentalists, the browns being hunters and anglers, there's a lot of divisiveness. Is it divisiveness? Is that the word I'm looking for? Divisiveness. Uh, divisiveness thank you. Um and me as an individual, I am I'm extremely happy. You know, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is out there doing the work they're doing because they're, they're setting aside and preserving tons of habitat. And I'm equally excited about the Sierra Club out there doing the work they're doing. Um, oh, so you're wearing green and brown. I'm very much wearing green and brown. Those are my two favorite colors, to be clear. And. I, I wish, yeah. I, I, in fact, I see it as my my one of my major goals is to bring those two sides together because, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way, and I've said this before. Um, 
So while the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, they're like, oh, no, 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 we don't want wolves in Colorado. You know, <laughs> we don't want them at all. Um, and then the, the wolf advocates are over here and they want wolves everywhere. And, and quite honestly, I'm one of those too. I want wolves everywhere. The thing is, though, those wolf advocates would not have anywhere to put their wolves if it wasn't for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and all the habitat they've preserved and, and the elk populations that they've restored. Um so they might not know it and they might not like it, but they're all working for the same thing, good thing, you know, and, right. and I'm glad they're out there doing it. And, and I'm with an organization that can, can talk to both sides. Um, and, and I really love that. Yeah. And that's, uh, you've always kind of been one of these, um, one of these guys who walks the plank in the middle, I would I say. Find... And you're, you've always been a guy who's sort of open, open-minded and open-eared to, all sides of the story. So it I sounds like this is right up, your, right up your alley. I feel like I've gotten better at that with age and, and thought, but, um, but yeah, I, I try to be now. Sure. And, and it's probably the story has been writ over and over again. Name pick, you know, pick another organization, pick like ducks unlimited. Right. I mean, uh, oh. my gosh, how much wildlife has been protected yeah. uh, because we've protected ducks. Yeah. And duck yeah. habitat. I mean, we've we've saved so much habitat for other creatures, and uh, and right. guys get out there and they freeze their butts off and they blast away some ducks. And uh, but overall, the net gain is is tremendous. We've all been herping in those places. Yes, we have. <laughs> and odds are they would not exist if it wasn't for those duck hunters. And and that, yeah. that's not me trying to you know lift up uh, Browns or anything at all because you know the green. I hate saying Browns and Greens for what it's worth, but you you got to explain it somehow, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, they both benefit from each other, um, and some of them don't like it. But um, yeah, I, I want as many people out there from as many walks of life fighting to restore wildlife and wild places um that that is that's my interest okay that's a good statement <laughs> and so well you're not only an advocate you don't just talk the talk you walk the walk too i mean you're out there you're a hunter you're a fisherman uh you're a herper you do all the things outdoors hey i remember sitting if you around can eat rocks you would eat rocks I would. <laughs> uh, no, I, I remember sitting around a campfire in Southern Illinois with you and everybody else. And I was so juiced on crayfish. I'd been looking at crayfish for probably a year at that point. I was so excited about them. Um, so that's what I kept talking about. And I remember you saying, fellas, I think we lost him. <laughs> so I just want you to know I'm still here. I still hurt. <laughs> I'm excited about all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm a very generalist outdoorsman. Uh, you know, there's just too much out there, you know, to overlook all of it. Um, yeah, I started with birding. Uh, well, that's not true. I started with fishing when I was a kid, but a lot of little kids started with fishing. But um, the first thing I got into as a pursuit that I identified with was, was birding. Um, but at the time, I didn't know herping was a thing, though, to be fair. Yeah, many of us didn't. Yeah. And if I remember right, um, I think I made it around that campfire. I think I re made the remark that you had to go for crayfish because your name was Cravens. Oh, so, uh, yeah. yeah. That would be appropriate. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, we did get you back. You so weren't, You weren't quite on point with the puns back then as you are now. <laughs> so I think you developed that with, with age and, and practice. Yeah. I do the dad jokes no, mostly the these days. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been doing this a lot. You've been caring about uh, organisms for a long time mm -hmm. and uh, and moving forward, you're involved in I, I just don't know if there's any other way you can be involved. I mean, you you 
you protect them, but you they're also tasty creatures. So you eat some of them and yeah. um, you advocate for uh, eating wild animals and eating wild game. You have a can you tell me about that a little bit? You have a, a something called Hunt to Eat. Yeah, I, I'm a contributor and and uh, ambassador for a company called Hunt to Eat uh, and Hunt to Eat to lay a foundation. Uh, again, I, I've lived and played on both the consumptive and non-consumptive side of the outdoor sports, for lack of a better term. Um, and and while I appreciate your compliment on saying that I've, I've always that I've been able to keep an open mind, that's not necessarily true. I haven't always been able to keep an open mind. Um, you know, there was a long period of my life that you know while I grew up hunting and fishing, I absolutely did. When I got into biology and I was studying biology, I didn't see it that way. I wasn't opposed to hunting by any stretch. But when we talked about the preservation of, of species and, and habitats, I, I, I tended to think, all right, well, that's great that you want to save these animals, but you just want to save them so you can shoot them. Uh, and it's humbling to say that it took a selfish endeavor for me to put myself in a position that I could see the fantastic amount of preservation and conservation work that happens on the consumptive side of things. Uh, in fact, it blew my mind. I, I didn't even know it existed. Um, you know, growing up in Missouri, uh, I, I had painted a picture in my mind that most of your sportsmen were kind of rednecky, you know? Sure. Um, and, uh, but I was wrong. Uh, and, you know, like I said, it took a selfish endeavor for me to be able to get to a point that I could admit that. Um, I, I've I've met, since I've been back into hunting as an adult, I've met more conservation-minded and thoughtful people than I ever had before. Uh, and it, it surprised me. Um, so now, you know, I'm just consumed in this world of these just fantastic human beings that are doing all they can do to save wild places and wild things. And uh, it, it, like I said, it's humbling. So this company that, that I, I do a little bit of work for, Hunt to Eat, they were simply a pair of brothers that decided that there were no T-shirts out there representing what they liked about hunting. Um, you know, they thought they were all kind of kind of silly, macho-esque type things. So they decided to make their own T-shirt, um, and it's, it was called Hunt to Eat because um, that's why they hunted, to eat. And... Uh, so, so I got on board with them, and I make videos for them that you can find at the Hunt to Eat YouTube channel, just making various things, showing how to cook wild game. And it's funny, I, I get all this attention now as as being this this wild game chef, and which couldn't be farther from the truth. Honestly, I don't even consider it a hobby. The truth of the matter is, though, if you go out in the field and, and, and you kill something, you don't want to waste that animal. At least I don't want to waste that animal. I, I want to do my best with it, you know, and do something nice with it. So I, I, that taught me how to cook. So now, you know, I, I put a lot of effort in, into the meals I make. And, and I'm very proud to say that, you know, my family, I, I had a great season last year. I brought home a lot of large animals and, and we eat basically 100% wild meat now, minus the few chickens um, and, of course, eggs. But uh, well, those chickens are hard to hunt. They're hard to hunt. They're hard to hunt. Yeah, people are mad. They come out in the audience. But um, but no, I am proud of it. You know, that's yeah. that's meat that has literally zero environmental impact. If anything, I would say it's a net gain uh, because of the money that you're putting into into conservation. Whenever you you buy those licenses and, and contribute to this whole system, and we call that the North American model of wildlife conservation. And and what I can say about that is, 
just one example that I've spouted is a hundred years ago, and this was our fault, you know, before we had regulated hunting, we had market hunting and that was free range on all the wildlife in our country. Right. Um, That's why we it. don't have passenger pigeons and right, exactly almost, right. almost don't have buffalo. So, but in those hundred years, since we've regulated this and, and paid attention to it and, 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 you know, work to conserve these things, uh, you know, we have more wildlife. We have more bears on the landscape than we did a hundred years ago. And they're moving back into places like, like Missouri and Southern Illinois, you know, where they historically were. Hey, and, how about that? How about that bear this oh, week that rambled cool. all over the Midwest? Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed following that. He even um, came to Illinois for a while. It's the first bear yeah. we've had over here for a while. Across the river to Missouri. I don't blame him. I would too. If I was in <laughs> Illinois. I'm kidding. Southern Illinois is lovely. I, I'm, I'm grateful. I know we're interrupting this, but I'm grateful that the bear was not shot by somebody because oh, that's, know. you know, it's, so it's such that. a, here such I am a, touting uh, the, the great things about hunting. And then some, some Joe blow shoots a bear like that and it undoes yeah. all the, all the good work and, I've wanted to try to do. And it, it's happened with mountain lions and wolves that wander around the country. They get, uh-huh. end up, somebody ends up shooting them, but this one didn't. And uh, other than it got darted, I think, and then they moved it, they moved it to a place it really couldn't get to without, putting itself in a jackpot. They so the, the conservation people stepped up and took the bear and put it somewhere where it's got a good chance of finding a mate and establishing a, a, a new uh bear kingdom, so to speak. So that yeah. that was just like happy news all the way around. And I just enjoyed, yeah, he's swimming back. He's swimming over to Illinois. Now he's back in Missouri. He's up in Iowa. <laughs> he's you know he's it's like he's at Disney World. And yeah. uh, it was just kind of a cool uh, situation that had a good ending. So that made me feel pretty good. I, uh, I mean, I love that stuff. We're, we're literally living in the in the good old days of wildlife. I mean, you know, that, that's kind of a silly thing to say considering. But as far as this past century, we're living in the good old days of wildlife. You know, we, we there's a lot of good work. Or, you know, thing, <laughs> I want to say things are good now. But, yeah, things are a little, little up in the air right now. Um, hopefully they stay good because, you know, yeah. people have that extra energy to put towards uh, things they care about. And, yeah, I think things are pretty I'll, good. A lot more women and minorities are involved in hunting and fishing these days. Oh man, yeah. Uh, I don't. That's... I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any data, but I, I know that's true. And maybe you can talk about that a little bit too, which sure. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, in, in today's current climate, you know, with everything that's going on, that that has been a hot topic. Um, diversification is a huge thing for us and our organization, and, and a lot of other affiliate organizations of ours. Um, all you have to do is look outside, uh, you know, and, and still, you know, the the circle I run with are a bunch of bearded white guys that, you know, wear ball caps. And but if you look outside that that's that's not what you see. There's all kinds of people, you know, uh, the Southwest is full of, of Latinos um, and, you know, all people of all colors need to be involved and have access to the same things that we do. And, and that access isn't equal across the board, unfortunately. So that that is part of our organization's drive, and, it, and it's still something we're working on. Um, but diversification is extremely important in the outdoors. And, you know, if we want to continue to keep these places, we have to have people that care about them and people that are using them. If we continue to just, you know, man, I don't know how to say this stuff. This is difficult. Um, <laughs> well, let me, let, a, me draw a parallel. let me draw a parallel sure, to this, too, because... Um, Herping is a recreational activity these days. It's like hunting. It's like fishing. 
Um, it's like bird watching, and it also is becoming a much more diverse activity. We get people from all walks of life. You name it, we have people from all over herping and all different backgrounds. And and for me, that's sort of been um, a great thing. It's because it tells me that we're now involved in sort of a mainstream outdoor pursuit. Yeah, yeah. We are no longer the crazy people uh-huh. who, who have to, <laughs> when you say, what are you doing out here? We say, oh, I'm taking pictures. I'm a wildlife photographer. We don't have to do that anymore. You know, we don't have to sort of hide under, hide our light under a bushel. Mm-hmm. And it's great that like bird watching, we, we get people of, from everywhere involved in it. And, and yeah. I, I, I want that to continue and I want that to, to get, uh, to increase even more than it is today. So I think we're on the right track there. And so I, I assume that we've got a parallel situation yep. going yep. on in the world of hunting and fishing, which, you know, I mean, candidly and frankly, that's just not my, it's not my world, although I appreciate it and respect it. And I respect what you do and, and uh, I respect your efforts. So I, I'd like to think the same thing is going on there. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's a little different, maybe not, but, uh, I'm, yeah, you, know, you, know, you know, as hard sure as times hoping. are, there are things changing for the better, you know, and, and you got to keep an eye on that stuff. Uh, shoot. I remember, what was it? Six, seven years ago when Warfel put together that, uh, Leroux road trip and I didn't even herp. I was home for a baby shower and I came down and drank way too much around the campfire with everybody. And Nigel was there. I think it was Nigel, right? Nigel Smith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I remember I was so yeah. excited he was there. I was like, "Man, we need you!" And I think I even gave him a hug. But uh, that that was a good time. That was a good night. Yeah, and so since then, I mean, since then the, we've come a long way. I mean, we're not just shocked to see uh, an African American or, or a Latino or, or or a woman, for that matter. It used to be like this big hairy deal when you had mm-hmm. a minority or, or, or females that were interested. In it. It's just not that big a deal anymore. Right. Yeah, and the fact that we're no, or I'm no longer amazed by it. It's just mm-hmm. part of the landscape. I think that says everything to me. Yeah, I'd say we certainly still have a long way to go, but we're getting there. Well, as um, a country, we have a long way to go too. Yeah, in some regards, right. so uh, a particular uh, group um, I just got turned on to and learned about a lot about that I'm really excited about. So, I mean, if any of the listeners, if they want to support this sort of thing, um, there's a group called I believe it's Outdoor Afro. Um, and man, uh, they are, and they're across the board, just outdoors, hiking, whatever. Um, but they're, they're doing some fantastic things and there's some really good people. Um, and cool. you do not have to have an Afro to, to, to be a member, by the way, you can oh, join up. I, I would definitely recommend that. Making a note. Very cool. And so, you know, that's the sort of thing that you pick up when talking to fellows like you. And, uh, so, so there's, there's lots of good things happening out there. You also, um, you're also involved with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. you have a number of parallel paths going on here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely burning the candles on both ends. Um, yeah, I serve on the board of directors for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And actually, when, when I got back into hunting and fishing, like I said, you know, I grew up in, in Missouri. Um, so growing up in Missouri and being in the outdoors, that's what you do. You hunt and fish, you know, because there's not anything else other than going and catching snakes, but not calling it anything. Um so when I got back into it as an adult, the idea was I always wanted to start back into it. And I thought, you know what? Well, when I settle down with a family, that'd be a great way to put meat in the freezer and I'll, and I'll do it. But, you know, with a personality like mine, when you jump into something, you just you don't look back. But um, <laughs> so our mutual friend, Marty, uh, he because when I got back into it, you know, the, there are a lot of yeah, yeah, silly people <laughs> in this community. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you first look at it, that's what you see. 
because uh, you know just like any group you know left right you know, wherever the the loudest and proudest ones are usually the silliest um so when i got back into this i looked around and i thought you know what i'm in this on my own you know i'm not going to have a community this is this is just going to be for me then i talked to marty and Marty said, check out Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, so I did. Uh, and I found this just amazing, progressive, oh, awesome. Oh, so Marty partner. turned you on to he it. He sure did, yeah. yeah. Marty, um, we're talking about Marty, our, our mutual friend, Marty Whalen, who who lives pretty close to me. And uh, he's he's, uh, he's, a, he's a cool dude. Yeah, we call a, him the most valuable herper. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. Yeah, so, he's a talented yeah. man. Hey, you know, yeah. he sent me a recording, uh, you know, he playing a guitar and singing a song the other day. And oh my God, I was blown away. I forgot how talented he was, but he wouldn't let me oh, write yeah. a shirt with anybody. Oh, I bet I bet I know which one it is too. He's probably doing a James James McMurtry tune. Yes, yes he was. Yeah. Yes, he was. yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, he turned me on to those guys and man, it is a great group of guys. Uh, they just, again, very forward thinking, very progressive. Uh, doing a lot of fantastic work. So there's a it, there's a there's enough room under the tent for for everyone. Absolutely, and, there you is. Know, you don't just have to uh, you don't have to join a tribe or a culture that doesn't that you're not comfortable yeah. with. If if the, all of the outdoor communities got along and joined together, we would be an unstoppable army, um, and we could do amazing things for wildlife in our country. But we you know we tend to bicker so. Uh, well, I'm working on that. You're working on that, right? So we'll have you come back on the show and um, you can tell us all about how you fix that. <laughs> I want to give that a little time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that you're, you seem like, uh, like you're happy doing it and uh, you're passionate about it. And so I seem like you're the right person for the job to me. And at least as as far as Arizona goes, and as far as the backcountry hunters and anglers, um, they have local chapters, or are they just yeah. a big group? Um, or? There's a Missouri chapter. Um, I'm not sure about Illinois right now. They're in most states. There might be an Illinois chapter, um, but yeah, they're and definitely. And the whole or, the whole organization just kind of promotes brotherhood and sisterhood among yeah um among yeah. people who enjoy that stuff right basically i mean yeah the the core mission is public lands um so for instance you know as herpers especially in the west we utilize the hell out of public lands um yes. i did not know that this was such a special thing until i moved out west um when i first moved out here and started herping I didn't understand that you could just pull off the side of the road and camp wherever the hell you pleased. Um, but you can, because that's your land. Um, yeah. It's, it's your land too. It's my land. It's, it's all of ours. And somebody it, should write a song about that. They should. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry. No, Go no, that, that was perfect. Um, but yeah, uh, I didn't realize that. So we're over 60% public land in Arizona. Um, in, in, you know, back home in the Ozarks, well, I dearly love the Ozarks. I love those rivers. I love that species diversity. Um, and, and sometimes I miss it dearly. Uh, I just, I, I never meant to stay in Arizona. I meant to come out here, explore the Sonoran Desert for a couple of years, go back home. But man, I can't leave this. Um, There's just too much. I can spend the rest of my life exploring and not crack the surface, you know? Um, and you can basically go anywhere as long as you're not abusing and tearing things up. You can do whatever you want because this is again, it's our, our land. Uh, and you know, if if I may throw in this point, um, right now there's there's a gentleman, William Perry Pendley, 
Uh, he was appointed by our current administration as the acting director of the Bureau of Land Management. The Bureau of Land Management, uh, they manage a great deal of this, this public land we're talking about. And he, he, he has a very long, very clear, very well-documented history of wanting to sell off these lands. He does oh, not no. believe that the federal government should own any land. So basically what you're looking at is Texas for the, for the entire country. Um, nothing, you know, I don't mean to talk poorly on Texas. Texas is beautiful and wonderful in so many ways. Yeah, but you better stay off people's land in Texas. And yes. most of the land is owned by somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this guy, a lot of environmental groups are calling for him to have a nomination, uh, a Senate confirmation. Because right now he's only acting, and he's only acting because they know that if he would he would not pass a confirmation, um, his, his history would not allow it. I mean, he really is kind of a fox in the hen house type situation. Oh so, so they called for it, and now they're going to have it. So right now is a really really good time to call your senators and say, hey. This guy, he's, he's no good for public lands. Literally, he's in a position right now to dismantle the whole program from within. Um, so it's scary stuff. You know, there's a lot of scary stuff going on in our country right now, but this is one of those things. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a good time to make those calls and write those letters. Uh, and if anybody needs help doing that, please reach out to me. I'll give you everything I need. I'll even write you the letter. Like it is with your name on it. Okay. Yeah. Um, that That's good to know. And that's that's part of you, you acting as a private citizen too. I mean, that's, you're not Absolutely. doing this because of what you do for a living. Uh, this is, yeah. this is you as a, as a, yourself. And, you know, again, to bring it back around to herpers, um, especially out here in Arizona, every herp buddy I have out here spends mass amounts of time on public lands, you know, utilizing these things. And this guy, he's trying to take it away. So yeah, I, it's I, not I good. Community get a little bit more proactive in this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and we should. I mean, you and I, uh, we we've herped on tons of public land out here together. Yeah, and I hope we get to do that again. <laughs> too, yeah, I, okay. I don't have an airstream for you anymore, though. So you'd have to stay in the house. Yeah. So yeah. So for those, Mike had an airstream. Tra- Mike and Mary had an airstream trailer in their backyard, and I I got to spend a couple nights out there. Uh, sleeping in their basically their streamlined guest bedroom on wheels, and uh, that was, was, that was nice kind of cool. Visiting field herpers, yeah. So the airstream is gone. I take it then. Yeah, we sold it. We fixed it up and, and made a made a nice profit on it. So it was a lot oh, of work, and it, it was a fun project. But by the time I was done with it, I was done with it. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys moved on from there, so. Well, listen. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I, I, I miss you. I miss uh, coming out there and visiting. I miss you and, too, man. Uh, it's, it feels like I haven't seen you for three, maybe three or four years now. So uh, I'll have to change that when I get an opportunity. Well, you know, I don't I'm, know when I'm, that will be, but uh, sometime in the future. I'm going out Sunday night uh, with uh, Keith. Uh, I, I've, I've not been able to say their last name for the past thirty years. Burkhouse, Wayne's brother. Oh yeah, and we're yeah, gonna Keith and Wayne Breckis. And we're gonna maybe find some hoppies uh, and look for uh, potentially some milk snakes. So I'm gonna go up to the Flagstaff cool. area. Cool. Now I have known Keith and Wayne for quarter century. Um, well, at Snake Road, they would walk the road, but they would only count the species. They wouldn't leave the road looking, and they keep records yeah. on how many they would see walking back and forth counting. Yeah, yeah, and and I've met. Uh, I don't think I've met Keith. I've 
I may have met, but I may have met him a long, long time ago. But I've I've been out in the field with Wayne, and Wayne was one of the first people I talked to once I set up my my Herp website back in the early '90s. He's one of the, like you. He's one of the early people that contacted me, and uh, we've been uh, you know chatting back and forth ever since. And I've been out in the field with him a few times, and uh, got over to some Missouri glades with him. And uh, and he's great. To, he's a great guy. He's uh, he's totally in the into the herps, and mm-hmm. the, the fact that he can uh, walk to work and find you know see a copperhead on his way to work, uh, you know, you know <laughs> kind of astounds me. But uh, he's he's got a good eye for that stuff. Both of those boys are extremely smart people too. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, 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 Wayne's a professor of something, sociology. Um, yeah, and then Keith is a uh, 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 policy advisor for Congressman O'Halloran out here. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah. Important work. Great fellas. And I also like Wayne's uh, wife, Rachel too. She's, she's pretty uh-huh. cool. Guy. Yeah. She was always there as well. Yeah. So at any rate, uh, at some point I'm going to get back out there to Arizona and I, I, so, will, I will look you up and hopefully we'll go out and find something cool. You know, I still have a lot of things out there that I need. I need a grand Canyon rattlesnake and I need a twin spotted rattlesnake and, um, uh, Maybe a few other things, but yeah, uh, it's funny those things when you live in their habitats. It's like, ah, oh, that's no problem. We could do that. But then when you're taking a trip to go get them, it oh, doesn't always work out that way. Man, I went to some primo twin spot habitat a couple of years ago, and uh, strike one, strike two, strike three. You know, so, I, only, I only visited once. I think we found three. I guess that day with in short order, and I never went back. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, they're there though. Yeah, I, I've actually seen a couple. From a okay. distance on uh, talus slides, but I have mm-hmm. to have a picture. Uh-huh. And by the time I, you know, strap on a long lens, they were just gone. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I know everybody on your podcast talks about the Amazon, um, and, and I hate to just continue and keep <laughs> that up. But I mean, come on, it's the Amazon. Um, and <laughs> y- y- you mentioned this, like, man, what once you get it in your head, or what once you're down there. You know, are it, you ready to go back to oh, the Amazon? God, so <laughs> um, yeah, it just it's such an intense place, you know, and, yeah. and I mean, for anyone that's interested in natural history, you want once you taste that you can't get it out of your mouth. You know, when did you come down? Was it 2018 or 2019? I forget. Two years. I, I don't know. Again, I'm not okay. sure. my wife makes fun of me for that. She she takes she makes our kids birthdays. The, the, the passcodes for our credit cards. <laughs> so our, our credit cards, so I remember them shamefully. Yeah. So, uh, and you had a good time down there. And oh, uh, God, I had a wonderful time. Yeah. 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 Uh, it just, it's, a, it's an amazing and, and beautiful place. Um, I, I like having my friends come down because I, I know their minds are going to get blown. And uh, I enjoy being there for that. So, <laughs> and perhaps facilitating that too, as well. So, well, you let me know uh, when you want to come back down sometime. You've got some funny money. There's so many other places too, you know, that, that's the problem. Uh, oh, I, yeah. And, and really that place was my, um, that was my gateway uh-huh. to other international and travel. When you, you started know? traveling, you didn't look back. Uh, you no. just nuts. Um no, yeah, I had to wait. You know, I had to get kids grown and raised and out of the house. And I don't have that option. I'm 45 and I've got a four and a seven year old. I'm going to be raising <laughs> kids into into my elder years. Yeah, but, but you I'm know, a good times before then, though. I'm having good times now too. So yeah, well, you know, I waited. I waited quite a while, but uh, 
you know, I, I look forward if, you know, if we can get a, a vaccine and uh, things calm down across the planet, I look forward to spending my 60s traveling around. Yeah. Uh, don't run out of money. <laughs> so, well, hey, before we get off here, let me say one more thing, uh, if you don't mind. Sure. And that is you have unwillingly served as how do you put this a figurehead of our community for a lot of years and and you've done a fantastic job at that you've represented the field herping community in in a classy way i I wish i could word this better but what i'm trying to tell you is thank you for what you've done Um, (laughs) thank you thank uh, you you know just like in hunting and fishing and herping there there's a lot of people it's like you'd rather not you know have the general public look at um, and uh, you you have really represented us well. You've done a great job of that, and you haven't tried. You you never meant to be like our, our the leader of our group, but but you certainly have been, whether you know it or not. And you've done a great job mm. of it. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, it's kind of a surprise to me. Um, I too have tried to be even handed and uh, and be friends to all if I can, uh, and and just try to you know promote this activity as best I can. Uh, maybe that's why I'm I'm here talking to you <laughs> as well. You know, I mean, there's obviously uh, this gives me a platform to uh, promote the thing I love. So awesome. I appreciate your words. And um, yeah, I, I certainly didn't set out to to do any of those things. If they happened, um, they happened. They, <laughs> it just they just happened. So. <laughs> well, Mike, thanks again. I really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, I look forward to our, our next meeting, and uh, we'll have to get you come back on the show again sometime, talk some more. Awesome. Man, it's been a pleasure catching up, and I can't wait to see you again. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, Mike. Take care. That's it for Episode 18. I want to thank my guest, Michael Cravens, for coming on the show. It was great talking with you, Mike, and I look forward to our next conversation, wherever that is. But I hope it's in Arizona because I have some unfinished business there. And folks, be sure to check out the show notes for links to Mike's projects and passions, including the Arizona Wildlife Federation, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and Hunt to Eat. And thanks everyone again, once again, for your comments and suggestions and for supporting the show. And I will talk to you all in a couple weeks. Just a couple more things before I go. You can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at SoMuchPingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group. You can also email me directly at SoMuchPingle at gmail.com. Of course, I'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, Please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better.